you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. When you say to yourself, hey, what's going on in cannabis? Think, I better tune into the NPR of weed. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022. This is episode number 215. I'm Susan the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and cannabis's favorite grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, this show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 26,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. This is one of the unique things about this show. Not not only are the correspondents experts, but folks with boots on the ground often come up to the stage to weigh in, including celebrities and politicians. Otherwise, please subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today, we're talking about Sex Baby, a Twitch Switch, South Park Addresses Inequity, Odor Control in Santa Barbara County, Cannabis and Autism, New York and Cannabis Gifting, a tax solution for Long Beach, California, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname jail Google from fellow inmates. Nicole, what's your headline today? <laughs> Thank you so much. Happy Monday, everybody. Uh, jail Google at your service. My headline comes from Bloomberg, and it's from Long Beach, which, uh, if anybody knows, is my uh, place of residence and where my heart lies. Um, failing cannabis, California cannabis market finds inspiration in Long Beach. Amid crisis in California, uh, California has to mull over some tax breaks. The world's largest experiment in legalizing marijuana has gone terribly wrong. But a new solution is emerging according to the people involved in a tax experiment that began in 2019 in Long Beach, California. The rationale for legalizing marijuana has been the same around the world, to stamp out the illicit market and the crime associated with it, and to reap the benefits of taxes on a regulated licensed drug. But it hasn't quite worked out that way in California. The world's largest legal market is also the source of much of the illicit cannabis. 
California was a trailblazer in marijuana, allowing medical use in 1996 and recreational use in 2016. But the recent months, cannabis farmers, dispensary owners, and business groups in the state have intensified their calls for reform, saying the industry is on the brink of collapse, with the wholesale prices plummeting and many small craft growers and businesses expected to fail. They said the problem is primarily taxes. With the 15% statewide excise tax layered on top of an already hefty burden on local tax manufacturing and cultivation, their products are drastically more expensive than those from the black market. Compounding issues are the cannabis deserts where towns have voted down the opening of dispensaries, making the illicit market not only cheaper but more convenient for many consumers. As the $8 billion illicit market in California continues to gain customers who are even more price sensitive now uh, that COVID-19 stimulus checks have gone away, the problem has been getting worse, according to the groups as the California Cannabis Industry Association. The bumper in 2021 harvest didn't help. Since it has driven prices down, the problem doesn't affect just the dispensaries and growers. It also hurts tax-starved governments. I want the industry to thrive because we are all promised these amazing tax benefits from the market, said California State Legislature Blanca Rubio, who represented Eastern San Gabriel Valley. She said she voted for legalization in the recreational market in 2016, but the pot of money promised for schools and other projects hasn't materialized. Pardon the pun. Rubio spoke on a conference call about this issue uh, last week alongside industry representatives that are pressing for tax reform and politicians. Along with them was Nancy O'Malley, Alameda County, County's district attorney. Well, there's a new approach. Long Beach's recent experiment is something that shows a better way forward, according to many of the people on the call. In 2019, the city of Los Angeles, the city in Los Angeles, reduced the supply chain tax, and in 2020, it bargained with the city council here in Long Beach out of a proposed tax increase and instead increase the hours of operation for cannabis retailers, effectively boosting their sales and the tax that they generated. Those steps caused tax revenue to swing from underperforming to outpacing expectations and also resorted resulted in more than doubling of the cannabis-related jobs in 2019 to 2021, according to Adam Hajazi, a founding board member of the Long Beach Collective Association and group advocates for safe and legal use. Adam credits the tax reductions for a jump in cannabis tax revenue from $4 million in 2019 to $8 million in 2020 and 9.3 in 2021. Rex Richardson, Long Beach Vice Mayor, also speaking on the call, said the counterintuitive move for lowering taxes to bring in more tax revenue could show the troubled industry a way forward along with some other measures. The lessons here for local governments is that you can actually increase your tax revenue by getting rid of some of that red tape, he said. I'm pretty excited to hear this information, uh, and I'm also pretty excited to see Long Beach again pushing things forward and leading the way. As um, many of you guys do know, the city of Long Beach is one of the first cities in the United States, first city in the state of California, to have a regulated cannabis uh, ordinance in 2009 under the 5.87. Um, this is super Super exciting to see Long Beach leading the way again, and I hope that there's some really great things coming from this. And I do want to make definitely put a big shout out. Long Beach is a very heavy union city, and the UFCW played a heavy role in this negotiation. Um, and I just want to say thanks again. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Thank you, Nicole. You know, uh, I love the story, and I love uh, you know we've got to deal with taxes. I just wonder if any 
numbers from 2020 and 2021 are just, you know, weird numbers. They definitely are some weird numbers, but the ability to stay open later really did make a huge difference. Um, Long Beach had, even though the state of California allowed for dispensaries to be open until 10 p.m., the city of Long Beach had their ordinance set for nine. And so that last nine to 10 really is a big difference, especially on like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, when we're talking about big uptick numbers, um, you know, on on, uh, big nights and like as far as holidays are concerned. So I think it really did make a big difference. But um, I do think that the lowering from 6% to 1% tax made a huge difference. I just wish that when it comes to the excise tax, that they would call it what it really is. It's a 27% tax, not a 15% tax. Yeah, 15% based on the 80% markup, unless you're running a business that's closed loop, um, what they call the city, the state calls non-arms length, which would be you owned your own business. At that point, it's 15% of what you sell it for. Otherwise, it's 15% of what the wholesaler sells it to the retailer at an 80% markup. So a $10 item, the state assumes you'll sell it for 18 and they tax you 15% on that, which effectively is, as Jason said, 27%. 27 fucking percent is fucking ridiculous. Well, let's hope Gavin Newsom is listening to the show today. With his mask off. Also big shout out to the UFCW and the LVCA because they were pushing hard on the city's neck for that. So pretty pretty um, proud of what they've done. And, you know, it really does show um, you can get a lot more done as a team. Amen. Thank you so much, Nicole. Rico, did you have a final I was comment? Say shout out to Stephen and Pam over there, LBC, doing the damn thing. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads and the patriarch of dad jokes. Always find him here every Every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Thank you for that intro, uh, Susan. I try to stay away from that whole patriarchy term these days, but it is what it is. So when I was coming out of Westworld, the uh, new South Park episode highlights inequity in Cal- uh, Colorado's cannabis industry. They say comedy is the best medicine, and in most cases I'd prefer actual medicine, but I mostly agree with the metaphor's point. Over the last few decades, South Park's prescribed some of the sharpest so, uh, social critique for America's ills. Episode two of 25th season aired last week, tackling racial inequity in Colorado cannabis. True to form, the team at the house that Matt Stone and Trey Parker built did their research, doing a mostly good job forcing fans to take a second look at the green rush. Titled The Big Fix, we're open to Integrity Farms founder Randy Marsh at the Colorado Convention Center for 2022 Cannabis Cultivators Expo. In the changing face of hemp farming breakout session, a panelist tells uh, the all-white crowd something that I swear is lifted from any convention's obligatory social equity track uh, transcript. We growers must face a harsh reality since the legalization communities of color, black and brown Coloradans, mostly affected by the racist war on drugs, have now been locked out of the wealth creation of this industry. Luckily, the public is starting to understand this unfairness, and many people are now talking about boycotting cannabis growers who are only white-owned. We are seeing a healthy and dramatic spike in consumers who demand that their cannabis be grown by uh, those who understand the fight for social equity. And the bottom line is this, a completely white-owned weed business these days just is not going to survive. Marsh goes into crisis mode, ends up luring in the show's uh, only black character, Token's father, Steve Black, away from his very lucrative finance job um, hold uh, to hold a high titled yet powerless position at Tegrity. Soon after, Steve goes and he sees a Tegrity bill, billboard with Randy giving the thumbs up, standing next to his favorite new diversity hire. He later becomes 
he comes up with a clever idea, naming a new cultivar, uh, cultivar line, but Randy and his business partner, Tally, laugh it off, calling him not too much of an idea guy. Black quits, Tegrity opens up his own 100% black-owned dispensary, Credigree Weed, right across the street, winning over old Tegrity shoppers with the new line, Martian Tally Pan. There's way too many levels of realness in this episode, and I recommend checking it out if you're in the industry, regardless if you're a South Park fan or not. My favorite line at the end, um, they took everything I learned about using black culture, making a bigger profit, and they did it for themselves. Funny indeed, but as a black man who spent a couple years working for an all-white Denver-based cannabis company, I can say that there wasn't much about this episode that was parody to me. I was hired away from a high-paying financial job because I believe in the plant movement, and I was hired number 19 at a startup big data shop in an emerging industry, uh, there'd be very good chance that I'd come up big on, on company equity in a few years. I built the biggest and most lucrative territory in the sales map from nothing, taking over 40% of a market share. Um, two years prior, they had virtually no presence. Before going public, Top Brass asked me what's it going to take and keep to keep me, what's it going to take to keep me on board? And thinking I had leverage, I gave them the number, they agreed to it, and they lied. They lied, straight up. Uh, we grow like crazy. We have uh, finally have HR at the company. And for some reason, I'm called into a meeting at Denver office where this motherfucker asked me and tells me that there's credible rumblings uh, around HQ that my success was a result of me selling cocaine to my clients. I laughed before realizing that he was serious. And um, this is because you guys don't know how to sell software to a mature market. You had zero ground game. You refused to listen when I told you the industry is way deeper than corporate assholes coming in and profiting and forgetting about folks hurt by the war on drugs or the future of the industries and brands. Now you racist dickheads are accusing the very reason where uh, we're about to go public of me pushing dope. I kept quiet because I wanted to do a big-ass payday, but none of that shit happened. We IPO'd $2 less than expected due to some Chad-ass accounting error scandal for inflating revenue uh, numbers out the gate. And today, Tilt Holdings is trading at $0.31, cents, where my strike price is $5.25. Yes, I ended up quitting. They didn't give me the money that I wanted. They didn't give me the money they promised. And um, I kept quiet because I thought I was going to have a payout. That never happened. So while it's true, we have a very uh, a few very successful BIPOC operators in the game, the battles that we have to fight, the hubris that we have to ignore, the dances we have to tap in order to be respected by employers and peers in an industry that we built is unacceptable. We can't change the past and the shit's moving too fast for us to slow down and teach y'all how to do better and right your own wrongs. If y'all really care, like you claim to, help us shift this bullshit equity conversation into reparations. Money's the only thing that's going to help us get on the same level. This is Rico Lamite, dopest dad on the street. Go Rams. Love to hear what y'all think about this one. Try to keep it, try to keep it short, Susan. Sorry about that. Uh, it's okay, Rico. It's all right. It's okay. And, you know, I, uh, I hear you. And uh, we talked about how the, sometimes the only way to get to people is through humor. I hope that this episode goes far and wide. Um, you know, there people are using fear tactics or uh, humor. I think humor is a good thing. And that's, that's why we try and make it so much a, a part of this show. Um, I hope this makes a difference. I, I, I was just really pissed at South Park for changing Token's name to Tolkien just for they this episode. They didn't, did they? <laughs> you gotta watch that. You gotta watch that. Yeah, one. I've got, I've got that clip. Do you want? I've got it queued up. Yeah. Should I yeah, play his, it? His name is Token, and always has been Token. Um, I definitely just want to make sure that um nobody misses this reality and the fact that I know Colorado has been pumping their their own, you know collars, popping their own collars recently in regards to how they're uh, making things in social equity. And now don't get me wrong, as, as a woman and as a felon, I've got some feelings about it. However, I don't think that uh, women 
and the criminal records should be in that same conversation when we're talking about social equity in the way that we're actually trying to give back to the communities that were drastically disproportionate. And so, like, I think that it's important for us to realize when Colorado is talking about what they're doing, that they're including women in that overall uh, demographic as far as what they say that they have social equity businesses. Reparations. Yeah, that- Well, we'll go ahead and hop to our next correspondent. Thank you so much for that headline, Rico. Um, Always love a a good South Park episode. And up next, we have Priscilla Agoncillo. Priscilla was voted as one of the top 25 women in cannabis making history. She's also the CEO of the award-winning Original Breeders League. What do you have for us today, Priscilla? Hello, good morning. Wishing everyone a happy Valentine's Day. I hope you all get to enjoy this day with your loved one or ones. My story is about one couple who won't be getting to celebrate. The headline is couple arrested after baby reportedly tests positive for cannabis. Justin Black Nichols, 27, and Alyssa Farrell Morris, 24, of Rainbow City were arrested on Sunday after their one-year-old tested positive for cannabis. The Department of Human Resources received a report that the child was being abused which led to an investigation. Authorities said a drug screen was given to the child and the father both tested positive for cannabis. Uh, There is no mention of impairment in the young child, just that THC was detected. Recreational cannabis is illegal in Alabama with possession for personal use punishable by up to one year in jail and a fine as much as $7,620. If the possession is for something other than personal use, it represents a second conviction and the maximum penalty penalty rises to uh, from one to 10 years in prison and up to 20, basically uh, $20,000 fine. With regard to the chemical endangerment charge, Alabama Code 1975 states, a person commits the crime if he or she is a responsible person and knowingly, recklessly, or intentionally causes or permits a child to be exposed to, to ingest or inhale, or to have contact with a controlled substance, chemical substance, or drug paraphernalia. The Bloomston um, firm reports that there there needs no evidence uh, to there needs to be no evidence of harm to the child in order to obtain a conviction. Uh, Children's Hospital in Colorado reports that symptoms of intoxication can range from a loss of coordination to any degree of sleepiness, trouble breathing, and less commonly a coma. Research from the Hospital for Sick Children last year indicated that there were significantly higher rates of intensive care admission and more severe presentations at its emergency department for unintentional cannabis poisonings after cannabis was legalized. The uh, the recent incident um, isn't the first time that a parent in Etowah County has faced chemical endangerment charges after babies tested positive for cannabis. In September of 21, a 22-year-old woman was charged after testing positive for several drugs, including cannabis and methamphetamine while pregnant. Earlier that May, we reported that the same uh, uh, sheriff's department arrested two women for consuming drugs while giving birth. One woman had tested positive for cannabis, which the baby later tested positive for as well. This is Priscilla reporting for this SOC News Hour. Not only does America have the most people locked up um, way ahead of China at 2.1 million, we also have the highest number of legal orphans in the world. Yeah, and when I went into like the other articles, um, and specifically this county that has, you know, a lot of arrests and incarcerations, especially when it comes to women and children and other drug use, uh, they they seem to pop tests on anyone that they have 
like suspicions of anything. Um, you know, the, the, there's women that the, the other women, for example, had some sort of altercation, uh, with the law, uh, you know, failing to show up at court dates or whatever it may be. And they seem to just, you know, force the test on them if they have any type of suspicion. So there might be a little bit more to, you know, what's going on in that County than reported. Is this when we chime in with locker up? <laughs> no. Come on. Nope. And no. it's not even fun. No. No. Not at all. No, but uh okay, I'm gonna lighten up the mood a little bit. <laughs> uh, because because Dr. Felicia said China. Let's say China. 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 This one's China. 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 <laughs> all right, let's keep smoking the news. All right. So he is the cannabis industry's longest running, continu- continuously running retailer, an avid Rams fan, and he's not afraid to face the riots late night <laughs> on Sunday before the Super Bowl winning champions take to the streets. <laughs> Jason Beck, what you got for us this morning, my man? Oh, yeah. Thank you so much, Rico. Today, my story comes out of the UK, and it's kind of funny. So here we go. Where there's a suspicious landlady raided her own property and found a cannabis factory. The woman had been visiting the property on Leeds Road in Outwood near Wakefield to speak with a tenant about gas and electricity certificate queries when she detected the pungent smell of the illegal drug. The landlady, who did not want to be named, said, I banged on the door, but... There was no answer. I opened the letterbox and the smell just hit me. I tried ringing the police and they said they would investigate, but I thought stuff, I I thought that stuff, so I raided it myself. She found about 30 cannabis plants in the loft all hanging up to dry and worth thousands of pounds. The house was full of equipment, including lighting, heating, and fans. The culprits had bypassed the electricity in an attempt to avoid detection and had caused considerable damage to the property, including the chimney and the ceiling, where they had installed the equipment to run through the house. There was very little furniture, just a couch and a TV and a table. Bags of soil leftovers from the crops were found all around the house. No one was at the property, but agents looking after the site said a Lithuanian man had been seen staying there. Electricians were called in to make it safe. The landlady said, they told me it could have easily blown up. There's a woman with two young children who live just a few doors down. Now, I find that totally to be total fake news because grow rooms just don't blow themselves up. If it was a manufacturing lab, then that could totally be a different story, but I'm not buying that part. And and then she also says, this is not just about growing illegal drugs. There could have been lives seriously put in danger. It was a professional setup, no doubt about it. It was all sticky and oily, so it was probably ready to be sold. People just need to be aware. And the police were contacted about the discovery but have so far not replied it sounds like uh, george gascon is the da uh, in in this in this county and this is jason beck reporting for the state of cannabis news hour i just like that the title said i rated it myself <laughs> so crazy i wonder if that violates the landlord tenant lease agreement that they have it, it very well could re- it very well could chris but you know what this is in the uk so they may not even have the same type of laws that that we are afforded here in the us maybe not we've got amber up from the audience amber did you want to weigh in on jason's headline i mean that just sounds so suspect it just sounds like someone paid her to just go in there and say like yeah it was sticky there was this many rows of it weird details that like a maid shouldn't 
be concerned with. <clears throat> she was the landlord, not the maid. And I thought it was funny, too, that she said it was sticky ah, and oily. So it must be ready. Fire, flood, or blood. Well, it sounds okay. like they were growing some fire out there and not no mids. So good for them. <laughs> as, as, a, exactly. as, as a cop, I've, I've been asked, right, when I was a cop, I would, ask, I would be asked, you know, you get calls for a bunch of stuff. But one would be, one common one is like either a welfare check or like, hey, there's this you know, basically a landlord wanting us to, to enter someone's property and hell no, man, fire, flood or blood. Well, you know, we cannot go in. Um, you know, landlords are, are governed by, you know, different responsibilities and contracts and yada, 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 but fire, flood or blood. I've definitely had landlords, uh, threatened to call the police on me when they, in the beginning knew exactly what was happening. Um, if I didn't pay them more money. So there's a fun one. Yeah. Landlords in my experience in the past, when they find out that you are even a user, they are just, they take advantage of that. And it's been pretty horrific. But if you come in, let them know what you're going to do from the gates. A lot of times they may just be with it. It's truth. And totally extort you on your rate. Ah, anyways, we'll go ahead and hop to our next correspondent. Uh, up next, we have Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen's the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our Washington Insider. What do you have for us today, Gretchen? Uh, good afternoon, Nicole, and happy Valentine's Day. It wouldn't be uh, the day of love without some safe banking. House Marijuana Banking Bill sponsor is confident it will advance through Senate despite obstacles. This is coming to us from Marijuana Moment. The fight continues to get the Senate to pass a marijuana banking reform bill, and the measure's House sponsor says he's confident that the opposite chamber will finally take it up. Representative Ed Perlmutter has been trying to get the Safe Banking Act across the finish line for several years now, and his latest attempt is to pass it as part of a large-scale manufacturing innovation bill to which the cannabis language was recently attached in the House. In an interview with Yahoo Finance on Friday, the congressman discussed the prospects of his proposal, which has cleared the House six times in some form. He said that while Senate leadership has insisted on passing comprehensive legalization first, he still sees opportunities to advance his bipartisan incremental reform. He said, every Democrat, and he's referring to the House, uh, and at least half the Republicans have supported safe making, and I'm confident that the Senate will take it up. Uh, he recognized that Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and colleagues are prioritizing broad legalization legislation that they plan to formally file in April, but he said that he's questioned whether they have the votes to get something of that magnitude through the Senate, which has not even had a hearing really on marijuana in 50-plus years. He said, we're going to keep working with the Senate, working with Schumer's office, working with Senator Booker's office, uh, and working with Senator Steve Daines, a Republican who is championing this bill in the Senate, and we're going to get it across the finish line. I'm really confident about it, whether it's with the America's Competes Act or something else, we're going to get it done. Congressman who is retiring at the end of the session and has committed himself to get safe, get safe banking enacted before then also talked about the political dynamics that have prevented his reform bill from moving through the Senate. Under prior GOP control, it stalled because a key Republican committee chairman felt it was too broad. He said under Democratic control, it's yet to advance because leadership feels it's too narrow. He reiterated that he would be open to further amending the proposal to satisfy Schumer and his colleague. He said they're in support of it, but they want to they just want to try and get some bigger pieces to it. If they can add research, if they can add some criminal justice reform, if they can add some taxation components, I'm all for it. 
but we need to get something passed and on to the president this year. He made similar comments in response to a question from Marijuana Moment during a press briefing last week when he also discussed possible consequences of expanding the reform proposal too much to the point where it loses some critical Republican support. He said, really, I'm pretty confident that it's going to happen. I think this is a bill that's going to break the ice and then other things can be added or advocated for over the course of the next few months or years. I'm with Ed Perlmutter. We need to break the fucking ice. This is killing us. Uh, and nothing has gone to the Senate. Nothing is getting done. They need to do something. Uh, this is Gretchen for State of Cannabis News Hour. You know, I feel like if they add the tax component, that that will put the genie back in the bottle. That could crush the cannabis industry. They, the, we, can't add, we cannot add a federal tax component right now. Well, if you go with some proposals like Nancy Mace's, which is only 3%, that's not the end of the world. Um, I think what will get Schumer or uh, Booker over the finish line is some criminal justice reform. I think there are pieces that can be added to it. And like Perlmutter says, he's all about it. I don't think you add taxation to this piece. Um, but clearly you need to add something to make them uh, save face. Reparations. Uh, Pass safe banking. Deschedule or bust. Go Rams. Yeah, go Rams. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay. We're gonna we're gonna relight the room. How about that? You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour, those are the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker in State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion Uh, If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. All right. Well, let's keep smoking the news. She's well known for bringing that drama-free data that we love so much here at the SOC News Hour. As a cannabis educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County, she's sadly not a fan of metaverse cultivation initiatives. Up next, we've got Liz Rogan. What you got for us this morning, Liz? Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you, Rico. Happy One Love Day to everyone. Um, thank you for joining us. My story today comes from NewsHawk by Melinda Burns. The headline reads, Carpentry a Cannabis Greenhouse Gets Green Light for New Odor Controls. Opponents plan to appeal. On February 4th, the Santa Barbara County Planning Commission unanimously approved the land use permit of Everbloon, an 11-acre cannabis greenhouse operation owned by Ed Van Wingerden. This came on the heels of the commission's unanimous approval of the January 12th permits for Maximum Nursery, which is a four-acre cannabis greenhouse owned by Ed's brother, Winfred Van Wingerden. Everbloom is one of the largest cannabis greenhouse projects in the Carpentaria Valley, and it has been at the sticky, icky center of the odor debate between Carpentaria greenhouse growers and local residents because it is a very close neighbor to the Carpentaria High School, where the halls have been filled with the scent of cannabis. Records uh, from mid-2018 until last week show Carpentaria residents have submitted 188 complaints to the county about the smell of cannabis near Everbloom, and the soapy laundromat smell of buyers' odor control systems, which are used by cultivators. In early 2020, the Santa Barbara Coalition for Responsible Cannabis, who is a countywide advocacy group, 
filed a public nuisance lawsuit against Everbloom and Maximum Nursery. The coalition's lawsuit is currently on hold because the Van Wingerdens are installing more than 100 carbon scrubbers, which is a $2 million investment, and um, which is the latest in odor control. 40 are arriving in May for Maximum. So Dutch scrubbers have been shown in small-scale tests at a Carpinteria greenhouse to eliminate more than 80% of these odors. So this month, this full-scale test of the new technology will begin at Everbloom with a goal to reduce the smell of cannabis inside the greenhouses so it can't be detected at the high school or in nearby residential neighborhoods. Critics of the cannabis industry, the concerned Carpenterians, said this week that they will appeal to the County Board of Supervisors to overturn the commission's decision and deny zoning permits for Everbloom, saying it is too close to the high school and creating a health hazard for students and sending the wrong message to young people. The northeast corner of the greenhouse property is 360 feet from the school property line, and three elementary schools are less than a half a mile away. Seven operations totaling 50 acres of cannabis cultivation have been approved for permits, and of the total, 38 acres are currently being cultivated. Anna Carrillo, who's a member of the Coalition of Con- and Concerned Carpenterians, sorry, Concerned Carpenterians, said the growers should be required to hi- hire an independent odor specialist to monitor the smell of cannabis twice a day at the high school. A number of Carpenterians spoke or emailed letters in support of Maximum and Everbloom. They said cannabis was provided providing good jobs and would save farmland from urban sprawl. Sally Green, a Carpentria Unified School District trustee, says the Van Wingerdens are generous donors to nonprofit organizations and that cannabis odors have dramatically improved to where it is rare to smell anything. Ed and his family are problem solvers and exemplify the kind of farmer we want in Carpinteria. Michael Cooney is an agriculture commissioner. He is also a baseball coach at the school, and he said the odor has been prevalent and frequent and irritating at times. It doesn't bother everyone, but it intensely bothers a number of people. He says he looks forward to this being solved, but currently there still is an odor there. So this is still a contentious issue in Santa Barbara, I'm sorry, in Santa Barbara County, specifically in the Carpinteria Valley, odor being the number one thing, specifically because the farmland um, and the agricultural community are so closely mixed. And with the high concentration of cannabis farms, this is becoming a constant problem. So this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I would love to hear if anyone has any comments or insight on this topic. I want to say that cannabis has to has been so apologetic. Please let us exist. Or tax us to death. It's okay. Put us in a different category. I mean, uh, I'm sensitive to people being sensitive to smells, but. Uh, you know, lots of cities have. Have you heard of the Tacoma aroma? Cannabis is treated unfairly. It really is. It reeks like garlic. Like you cannot walk anywhere in Gilroy without smelling like a fucking armpit. And uh, the the what is it? Uh, sriracha that's being made in the IE. Like the whole area smells like fucking burning peppers. Whatever. Whatever happened to that? Um, uh, to that dude that tried to accuse Santa Barbara uh, weed companies. Uh, for his car accident. He said the smell was so bad that he wrecked his car. Oh, Whatever God. happened to that story? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, come on. Come on. I think that might be fake news. Uh, please. Thank you, Liz, for the story. I, I'm always amazed that there's technology um, dealing with the odor emission situation. And I think if 
more cannabis growers took advantage of that, they could be better neighbors because everyone doesn't like how it smells. Yeah, we got two stink tickets in Colorado. Uh, one of the facilities that I was running um, for True Cannabis, it was over uh, in a total industrial area too. Um, and we got two different odor tickets, like almost back to back. And it's you know just uh, something that they can do to use for enforcement if they want to be assholes. They they tried, they'd use the buyer's odor control system for a while, but it sprays the stuff in the air that's like odor neutralizing terpenes which is really strange and um so this carbon is definitely carbon filters as we all know in the industry are usually the best practice so i'm hopeful that this will make major strides in controlling this stinky situation but how are you going to fucking control the smell of outdoor no it's carpentry is greenhouses nicole that's the problem there no, I know, but I'm saying in other places. Like, how are you going to control the smell in places that are going to be, you know, odor adverse? Well, what they're doing in other parts of uh, Santa Barbara County, because they're near wineries and there's a big controversy if it's the terpenes are affecting grapes and other things, is so they're planting odor neutralizing plants, not neutralizing plants, but other odiferous plants like eucalyptus and lavender on the borders, just to increase the terpenes. I'm just kidding, but that is what they're doing for odor control. Have you matters. driven by Harris Ranch? Uh, I was just going to say the same thing, man. Speaking of the five freeway coming down California, it'll make your eyes water. Yeah, true. Outdoor, outdoor weed doesn't smell. Uh, outdoor uh, weed doesn't smell anyway. All right. Well, nothing, thank you so nothing much. Nothing like a cattle ranch. Thank you so much for that headline, Liz. Um, and up next, we have Shalina Panu. Shalina is an entertainment and cannabis attorney, talent agent, and Cloutier uh, Remix Agency, and the founder of Shall We Toke. What do you have for us today, Shalina? Good morning, Nicole. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my headline for today is Cannabis Users she a robot everyone else called make themselves edible is she a robot go rams Shalina, you're roboting um let's let's uh move to christopher and maybe you can uh jump out and jump back in i can you hear me better i i don't know if this if you can hear me better now try go ahead and try Shalina. okay good morning everyone so cannabis users have more sex than non-users a multi-state cannabis company called mary med makes and sells edibles made out of organic fruits and vegetables under the name of Betty Edibles, which are sold throughout the East Coast. They recently did a survey for the Betty Edibles brand for Valentine's Day. To start, it was reported that cannabis users have more sex than non-cannabis users. Out of the 76% of cannabis users, 50% of users versus 35% of non-users said they have sex multiple times a week. To note, 63% of those cannabis users said that cannabis enhances their sexual experience. To more than half of the users, they reported that they believe cannabis is a natural aphrodisiac. Nearly 30% believe it ranks number one on the list in terms of effectiveness. 40% of those people between the ages of 35 to 44, however, believe it to be the most effective. 82% of cannabis consumers that have kids in the house and those with kids under the age of 18 reported that they will be incorporating cannabis into their Valentine's Day festivities, which is 20% more than those without kids. Now, the burning question Buddy Edibles wanted to know is, what's the preferred method of consuming in regards to sex? Well, it's a slightly close call, depending on how you read the numbers. This is how the article was a bit deceiving and sounded more like press for the company. It focused solely on the 52% that preferred edibles. However, let's not discredit the fact that the other 48% prefer smoking cannabis. That's still a very high number. 
Now, the reason I don't want to dive head into what different types of edibles one should look for this Valentine's Day is because of the misconception regarding edibles. Although it eliminates the, abil- avail- the ability of inhaling smoke, edibles are absorbed through the stomach and blood versus the lung. It takes longer for the cannabis to hit, but once it does, it hits you hard. And in the factor, and add in the factor of copious amounts of sugar, which is in 99% of these edible products, it's a roller coaster for disaster. Smoking cannabis, on the other hand, doesn't provide the added sugar or calories that edibles do. It provides an almost instant sensation due to it being absorbed in your body differently than edibles. In terms of sexual pleasure, of which method you should use, it really is a personal call because everyone responds differently on what they what on ways that they consume. There are so many different options. I really don't want people to become so narrow-minded and believe edibles are the best and easiest way to consume. If you are in a legal state, please visit your local dispensary, and I beg of you to not limit yourself in the possibilities of consuming. Lastly, I don't want to leave out the single people. Truthfully, there's nothing in the world like sitting with someone you love, whether it be a partner, a family member, a close friend, or even a complete stranger, rolling up a joint or blunt and and sparking it up together. That is the ultimate way to share love to one another through the power of cannabis. Valentine's Day doesn't always have to equate to sex. Sometimes it's just sitting in love and sharing that love through this beautiful plant to others. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Sending love to each and every one of you. My name is Shalina, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Valentine's Day is why there's so many November babies. I see somebody's, somebody's messing around with the My Pillow gun. And the Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> But then my pillow guy has the best plug. <laughs> and edibles give you a, a more intense experience because your liver converts it to the 11 hydroxy THC metabolite, and women actually make that conversion at a higher amount than men do. So that's a cool fact. To and me. not all edibles are going to have sugar as well. Um, there's a bunch of products that are completely sugarless and you know additives that you can put into your already existing meals. Um, but you know there there are other ways to consume other than a sugary treat. We need to kind of emphasize that point more. I think edibles people just automatically assume that edibles equates to like a brownie or um, a cookie. Yeah, and there's other ways to consume. Absolutely. Like you were saying. Yeah. And I mean, even if you do have an edible that is a sweet item, like we have uh, uh, Brandon's Fruits Labs, they're, you know, sugar free and they're made out of out of just plain fruit. There's items that you can add to, you know, syrups or or just plain, uh, you know, cannabinoids that you can add to your meals. So there's a lot of other options that you can have a completely healthy diet and still consume cannabis as an edible product and not, you know, bring in that smoke into your, your equation. Let's keep smoking the news. So some know him as a communication strategist and publisher of the American Cannabis Report. But those who know him and they know his secret, they call him Clark Kent. If he's black, we'd call him Dark Kent, but he's not. But I still love you. Christopher Smith, what do you got for us this morning? Hey, you're unbelievable. <laughs> Good morning, Susan. Good morning, uh, Nicole. Hope you had a safe and fun Super Bowl weekend. Another mama bear story came to my attention this weekend. This time it's in the U.S. My headline is South Carolina mom became advocate for severely autistic daughter to use medical marijuana. Advocates for medical cannabis have hope after the South Carolina Senate approved a bill and now it's on its way to the state house and it does so with support of 72% of South Carolinians. Judy Gunn the former executive director of Compassionate South Carolina, an advocate for medical cannabis, says voters understand that medical cannabis can provide life-changing relief and the law should not stand in the way. 
So Judy is obviously among the 72%. She's a fierce mama bear who's willing to fight on behalf of her severely autistic daughter named Kira, who also can't speak. Another mama bear named Jill Swing of the South Carolina Compassionate Care Alliance has a daughter named Mary Louise, who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy and epilepsy before she turned two years old. Poor little girl has between 800 and 1,200 seizures per day. Both of these girls find relief from THC-based medicines. So let's just real quickly, not to bum you out too badly, but poor little Kira, she looks to be about 12 years old or so in the pictures in the article. They, the doctors have put her on a, a drug called Respiridone for years, and I don't know too much about her condition. I'm certainly not a doctor, but the National Library of Medicine call, says that Respiridone is used for schizophrenia. Now, she's autistic, but it's used for schizophrenia for people who are 13 years and older and for bipolar disorder, so it's a major chemical uh, drug. The site lists 39 major side effects and says there may be others, and it caused her to develop another disease, in fact, which is on the rare disease database called tardive dyskinesia, which basically caused her muscles to constrict. So this poor girl suffering so badly, the mother changed all of that and got her onto cannabis medicine, and, uh, and she's doing much better. And even though the suffering of Kira and Mary Louise is well known in, Ser- in South Carolina, there's tons of stories on them, um, there's still opposition to medicinal cannabis for children like them. And I'll bet you could tell me with your eyes closed who opposes it, Johnny Law himself, South Carolina Sheriff's Association. And I know you can guess why. It's right from the Reefer Madness playbook. It's public safety. It's like you stick a hand up their butt and they sing along like a topic dum- like a, like a talking dummy. This is Jared Bruder uh, says on behalf of the sheriffs, the number of impaired drivers has gone up when marijuana has become legal as medicine, which is not true. Uh, there's certainly an expectation. We'll see that South Carolina is already number two in the country in impaired driving with just alcohol and other drugs. So legalizing, regulating, and controlling exactly who is legally allowed to have cannabis for the first time doesn't seem like something to try considering you're already failing so badly. And what about little Kira and Mary Louise and their families and the thousands of other South Carolinians suffering from these from approved conditions? I'm hearing mixed, condition, uh, mixed messages about where the legislation is exactly in South Carolina. I'll try to keep up on the story as it develops. And I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, Christopher Smith. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, and it, and it just so clearly demonstrates how you can be on a pharmaceutical and develop a side effect, and you got to take another pharmaceutical to treat that side effect, and on, so on and so on. Thanks for sharing, Chris. Great comments, Dr. Felicia. Excellent story, man. All right. Well, if we don't have any more comments on that, we'll go ahead and hop to our next course. Uh, Dr. Felicia Dawson. Uh, Dr. Felicia is the Plants for Life uh, and dual board certified physician, helping people understand how much power they have over their health while using cannabis as medicine. What do you have for us today, Dr. Felicia? Thank you, Nicole. Happy Monday, everyone. Super Bowl 56 is now history. Congrats to the LA Rams. It was the first time in a long time that I actually knew all the rappers who performed. Uh, This Super Bowl is significant in that it's the first one held in a legal adult use state. There were actually two dispensaries within two miles of SoFi Stadium and 200 dispensaries in Los Angeles County um, in addition to that. And several of them offer home and hotel delivery. Ricky Williams, the retired NFL running back and winner of the 1998 Heisman Trophy, has used the occasion to relaunch his personal brand of cannabis called Heisman, spelled H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N. One of Williams' business partners sells a strain called Sticky Ricky. The Super Bowl did not have any 
cannabis-related uh, commercials as they said they would not. Um, but Marie St. Fleur stated it was pretty special, even though the NFL elected not to allow us to have a role at all in the Super Bowl. Uh, she's the executive director of and CEO of the National Association of Cannabis Businesses. It is exciting that there is a conversation about the cannabis industry happening. The NFL is big business with the league having generated $16 billion in 2019. Williams, the retired running back, said cannabis has helped him with social anxiety and depression and praised the NFL for funding the research. I mean, we can complain about it only being one million, said Williams. The retired running back who was suspended five times during his NFL career for violating the league's substance abuse policy. What is that, like a fourth-string quarterback money? But the NFL is pretty much saying that they're moving in a new direction, and I think it's definitely going to create some goodwill with the players and probably other industries. Not only sports are paying attention. Though Williams expressed no anger about the suspensions and the millions of dollars he lost as a result, he did say... He thinks some of the league's old policies around drug abuse were racist. I think it's time to start taking a look at that and making some changes. And it feels like the NFL is on that path, Williams said. Uh, Williams did not attend the game at SoFi Stadium. He actually um, watched it from a private party in the Los Angeles area. And he stated that they were going to enjoy some sticky Ricky. Um, did anyone on the stage or in the audience actually attend the Super Bowl? Did you feel like it was more chill than it normally is? Uh, this is Dr. Felicia Dawson reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I live in South Central and it's, it's like a stone's throw away from the stadium and everything. And there was gunshots and uh, fireworks all night. <laughs> well, so much that. There was no chill. There was zero chill. Did you guys uh, catch the Willie Nelson commercial, the Skecher commercial? I did, full of innuendos. It was great. Legalized comfort. Yep, but the man don't want that. Go Rams. Good job, Skechers. I'll play it at the end of the show, but let's keep smoking the news. So up next, he was once a, a, a reader of all of our Miranda rights and current reader of Canon News. That's right. This fellow dope dad and former cops, a cannabis security consultant at CC Security Solutions and our go-to guy on law enforcement stories from an insider's perspective. Up next, we've got Chris Eggers. What you got for us this morning, my man? For the fire intro is always Rico, fellow dope dad. My Article today comes out of Lake County News, and the headline reads, Sheriff's Office seizes record amount of marijuana during water theft investigation. The investigation of water theft in the Clear Lake Oaks area led to, uh, earlier, sorry, last week, led to an arrest in Lake County Sheriff's Office's largest seizure of illegal marijuana estimated to be worth several million dollars. On Tuesday, the Lake County Sheriff's Office Roadmap Task Force and the Sheriff's Office Marijuana Enforcement Unit conducted an investigation regarding water, water theft in the area of Henderson Drive. During the investigation, detectives located three residences uh, used to dry and process marijuana, according to the Sheriff's Office report. Authorities said the investigation revealed all three residences were being used illegally to process marijuana for sales and were connected with the reported water theft. The Sheriff's Office said the residences were secured by detectives and a search warrant uh, for all residences were obtained and executed uh, earlier 
last week. Detectives located and seized a 12-gauge shotgun, 2,326 pounds, I'm sorry, 2,326 marijuana plants and approximately 7,600 pounds of processed marijuana, and a large majority was already packaged ready for sale. They estimated that the marijuana was worth $7 million. Detectives uh, made one arrest at a resident who was booked uh, for, let's see, illegal cultivation and processing of marijuana. The seizure of the 7,600 pounds is the largest seizure of processed marijuana by Lake County Sheriff's Office to date, the agency reported. Now, according to Sheriff Brian Martin, he said, quote, while licensing cannabis growers struggle to remain compliant with regulations required of this industry and further struggle remain financially viable while dealing with the associated costs such as fees, permits, and taxes. There continues to be uh, a black market for this product. Operations such as this one pump large amounts of unregulated, untaxed cannabis into the market, Martin said. They avoid the costs that legitimate growers have uh, by stealing water, avoiding taxes, and not complying with any of these regulations. These operations adversely impact impact the legal marijuana industry and have a negative impact on the environment and are frequently the cause of uh, their criminal activity. We will continue our efforts against large-scale illegal marijuana, such as this one, according to the sheriff. And then, of course, at the end of the article, they ask that if anyone has any information, to please call the Lake County Sheriff's Office. Happy Monday. Happy Valentine's Day. Thank you for allowing me to share this article. My name is Chris Eggers, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I didn't do the math oh, to see if the millions add up, though. Waiting on uh, Jason Beck's calculator. When you're drawing so much from utilities, man, like, like how are you not going to get busted? That is quite the picture, I have to say. You think those coppers feel a little bit funny, like at the end of the day when they join up in the station and one says, well, I got a guy for murder. Well, I got another person for rape and robbery. Well, I got a guy for cheating on his water bill. That, that conversation happened after the photo op, though. Right after the helicopters and the tanks were rolling. Big peace signs with the uh, with the rifles out front of a big pile as well. I definitely do have uh, a little, you know, opinions in regards to a lot of the conversation happening with water and, and how we're handling water. So it is something that we do want to be considerate of. Definitely. Um, and we are at time on that headline. So we're going to hop to our next correspondent, Adelia Carrillo, CMO of Event High, advisor for the ICBWA and the co-founder of Blunt Brunch. What do you have for us today, Adelia? Good morning, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, so today's article is New York clamps down on businesses offering marijuana as a gift. Um, well, New York works on launching a legal market for recreational cannabis. There have been many entrepreneurs who have been getting creative and focused around the legal legal gray area by marketing that they are not selling cannabis, um, but giving it away while people buy something else. Majority of us already know of this model. It's been a known method for many years in many states, especially in California way back when. Um, with some of these businesses, though, they some of them are stating they're offering it as a gift, while others are focused around the club component and stating that they acquire cannabis and provide their paying members ac with access to it. However, uh, this got the state's attention, and now the state is saying that they have jumped the gun and that they need to stop. Um, the Office of Cannabis Management said Tuesday it sent letters to more than two dozen enterprises it suspects of illegally selling weed. Um, they were told to stop or face fines, potentially um, potential criminal charges, and risked uh, to their prospects of getting a license down the road once they are available. Um, the executive director, OC uh, Director Chris. Alexander of the OCM states that New York State is building a legal regulated cannabis market that will ensure products are tested and safe for consumers and will provide opportunities for people affected by the enforcement of now scraped marijuana laws. Um, so 
the law does state, it doesn't discuss gifts, but it does allow transferring without consumption um, of small amounts of cannabis. Now, it goes into talking to a couple different brands. Um, the CBD owner of Hemp Soul, Jim McKenzie, he didn't get a letter, but he does do this gifting component. He says he's going to stop. However, he also, he also advises that he would wish the Cannabis Control Board would speak to him and other businesses to understand their method of how they're doing business. Now, another big one is Happy Monkey. Um, they have not received a letter. They are a New York City-based business um, that has put on bring-your-own-cannabis-themed events where goodie bags do include a joint. The spokesperson Steve Zakim said he says that that not that it's not gifting tied to a purchase, but rather doing what a sponsor does: provide a goodie bag to give away their product to help influence people. So um, while the cannabis agency's action might not affect Happy Monkey, um, Zakim did say it was offensive and insulting. Um, as of right now, personally, I'm, I'm glad that it hasn't impacted cannabis events yet over there. You know, it is an important component for brands and how it's uh, doing business, uh, how it's a bonus offering for attendees. This is Adelia, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Thank you so much, Adelia. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, that was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. And thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of <coughs> Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. All right, here's the Sketcher commercial. Hi, I'm Willie Nelson. I fought for the legalization of the one thing that can bring comfort to millions, Sketchers. You see, Sketchers shouldn't Cut. be illegal. They uh, have so many... Willie. I don't think sketches are illegal anywhere. But to feel so good, I just assume the man made them illegal. No. Not even a little illegal, like you can wear them to a concert, but not to a kid's soccer game. You can wear sketchers anywhere. Well, pass the sketchers. Sketchers. Legalized. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. I love it so much. Say goodbye, Rico. Goodbye. Go Rams. <laughs>